0: The most unforgettable Asian love story poignantly emphasises the Chinese poet Hung Sheng's The Palace of Eternal Youth. Since ancient times, how few lovers have really remained constant to the end. This verse immediately came to mind as I reflected on the tragic death of Oxford University lecturer and Tibetan scholar Michael Aris when he died on March twenty-seventh, 1999, in a hospital in England. This sad event made Aung San Suu Kyi, who had been the clear winner of the 1990 Burmese general election and was therefore the rightful ruler of Burma, made her into a bereft and grieving but still determined widow. But unable to move about freely, she remained under house arrest in her family home in Rangoon. Her husband's death demonstrated with devastating clarity the truly despicable nature of the Burmese military regime as it sought to manipulate the situation in order to get rid of Burma's leading dissident and nationalist symbol. Mr Harris's death did not merely end his grim battle with prostate cancer. It also ended an equally grim confrontation with Burma's repressive military junta, which had denied him a visit to visit his wife since Christmas 1995 and had refused to permit one last visit to Rangoon during his last few months once it became clear that Aris was a dying man. The premature death of Aris, who was a specialist in Tibetan studies, brought to an equally premature end a 27-year love affair built upon the clear understanding by both husband and wife that Miss Chi's first duty was to the people of Burma, born of her being the daughter of nationalist hero Aung San, who was assassinated soon after independence. In 1999, Aung San Suu Kyi indicated her grief and sadness with a poignant two-paragraph statement which she was able to issue with the help of foreign diplomats in Rangoon on March twenty-seventh, the day Mr. Aris died. It said, On behalf of my sons Alexander and Kim, as well as on my own behalf, I want to thank all those around the world who have supported my husband during his illness and have given me and my family love and sympathy. I am so fortunate to have such a wonderful husband who has always given me the understanding I needed. Nothing can take that away from me. Throughout Michael Harris's final illness, the military had played an utterly cynical game trying to use his terminal affliction and his desire for one last visa into a means to get... Miss Aung San Suu Kyi to leave the country, thereby making it easy for the authoritarian regime to conclude their ongoing suppression of her National League for Democracy, the NLD. The NLD, it must always be remembered, clearly won the 1990 election which the military themselves had organised. The military hoped that a large number of parties would all win a small number of seats, But the NLD led by Aung San Suu Kyi won 392 out of the 485 seats contested. The result was never honoured. The parliament, then elected, never met. The military never allowed Aung San Suu Kyi to become the duly elected prime minister. Instead, they sought to get her out of the country and to terrorise all those elected in 1990 to represent the people. This cynical game over granting a final visa to Aris culminated on Friday, March the 26, when an army officer conveyed to Miss Suchi that the government was willing to let her go to London to see her husband, provided she did not use the trip for any political purposes. One can well understand, of course, that the very thought of Miss Suchi being freely interviewed in London in those days by the world's press was enough to terrify Burma's fearless generals. So there was no guarantee that she would be allowed to return home to Burma. Understandably, Miss Suchi quickly showed the officer to the door. The Burmese government's gesture was. Its response to pressure from all over the world, and as the military regime must have known, was made as Aris lay at death's door. The regime only narrowly avoided making the offer to Suchi simultaneously with the news of Mr. Aris's death. Again on march twenty eighth, nineteen ninety nine, in the wake of Aris's death, the Burmese government once again offered all help to allow Miss Suchi to visit England for her husband's funeral, but again refrained from giving a categorical assurance that she would be allowed to return home. The crucial point in all this manoeuvring was that while the Burmese military rulers made a great show of allowing Miss Suchi to visit England, Mr. Aris himself never made such a request, but asked only for a visa so that he could visit his wife in Burma one last time. It was this basic request to which the military despots never responded. The fact that Michael Aris never asked Ong Sang Su Kyi to come to England, and the fact that she never asked to go, reflected a basic, loving commitment they had made to each other when they were married in 1972. Aung Sang Suu Kyi made it plain then that one day her commitment to her nation might come before her commitment to her husband. Michael Arist loved Ong Sang Suu Kyi by making sure that the two commitments never clashed. She always used to say to me that if her people ever needed her, she would not fail them, he recalled in an essay published a few years ago. Rereading the 187 letters which she wrote to him just before they were married while he was studying in Bhutan and she was in New York, Aris noted that she constantly reminded me that one day she would have to return to Burma and that she counted on my support at that time, not as her due but as a favour. Aris then quoted Suchi's words from one of those letters. I only asked one thing, that should my people need me, you would help me do my duty by them. Would you mind very much, should such a situation ever arise? How probable it is, I do not know, but the possibility is there. Sometimes I am beset by fears that circumstances and national considerations might tear us apart just when we are so happy in each other that separation would be a torment. And yet such fears are so futile and inconsequential. If we love and cherish each other as much as we can, while we can, I am sure love and compassion will triumph in the end. In the wake of the death of her mother and the savage Rangu massacre of Burmese students in 1988, Aung San Suu Kyi felt she was needed by her long oppressed people and Aris unquestioningly supported her decision. But as he recounted in that essay, for him the call of duty came much earlier. It was a quiet evening in Oxford, just like many others, the last day of March in 1988. Our sons were already in bed and we were reading when the telephone rang. Sue picked up the phone to learn that her mother had suffered a severe stroke. She put down the phone and at once started to pack. I had a premonition that our lives would change forever. Aris saw that, quote, from her earliest childhood, Suu Kyi had been deeply preoccupied with the question of what she might do to help her people. She never forgot for a moment that she was the daughter of Burma's national hero, Aung San. It was he who led the struggle for independence from British colonial rule and from the Japanese occupation. Suchi, born on the 19th of June 1945, had only the dimmest recollections of her father, who was assassinated in July 1947. However, everything she has learned about him inclined her to believe in his selfless courage and his vision of a free and democratic Burma. There is a certain inevitability the way she, like him, has now become an icon of popular hope and longing, In the daughter, as in the father, there seems an extraordinary coincidence of legend and reality, of word and deed. And yet prior to 1988, it had never been her intention to strive for anything quite so momentous. Iris was with Aung San Suu Kyi in Rangoon later in 1988, when her commitment to strive for Burmese democracy became absolute. And he recounts that development with only the slightest tinge of regret. It came as no surprise when Suu told me she was resolved to enter the struggle. The promise to support a decision which I had given in advance so many years ago, no, now had to be fulfilled. Like Suu perhaps, I had imagined that if a day of reckoning were to come, it would happen later in our life when our children were grown up but history and fate never seemed to work in orderly ways. From that moment on, Harris himself never pressured or even asked Suchi to come back to England. The only time they were occasionally together was when he was able to go to Burma. At first, the regime, hoping that Michael Harris would persuade Suchi to return to Oxford with him, was willing to grant visas, but wrote Aris. In fact, knowing the strength of Su determination, I had not even thought of doing this. Perhaps at that moment they realised I was no longer useful to their purpose. The last time Su Chi and Aris were together was Christmas 1995 when Aris took a statement to Su Chi's out of the country for her for which he was denied any more visas even during his last final illness as the military tried to use denial of a visa as a pressure on Aung San Suu Kyi to leave such are the depths to which dictatorships descend Aung San Suu Kyi's suspicions that the military might exclude her were she ever to leave Burma, were well-founded. The military had altered the constitution so as to make anyone married to a foreigner incapable of holding a position of political leadership in Burma. Today, in 2014, Aung San Suu Kyi is barred from running for the presidency in the next election because she was once married to an Englishman. Earlier, the military regime also refused to renew her two sons' Burmese passports, making them dependent on visas in British passports in order to visit their mother. It may have been that Mr Aris was unable to have one last conversation with his wife. Reports from Rangoon indicate that Suchi's ability to make international telephone calls had also been denied. So, just as Aung Sang Suu Chi had feared, circumstances and national considerations did indeed tear her and Michael Aris apart. Their final separation from each other must have been much, much more than just a torment. Despite his agony, Michael Arist helped Aung Sang Suu Chi to do her duty as she saw it until the very end. So that is why I always remember the palace of eternal youth. Since ancient times, how few lovers have really remained constant to the end. But those who were true have come together at last, even though thousands of miles apart, even though torn from each other by death, and all who curse their unhappy fate are simply those lacking in love. True love moves heaven and earth. Metal and stone shines like the sun and lights the pages of old histories. And the pages of new histories, too.